everyone, this is Jake Clark, and you're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of the UBC campus. And I'm joined here by... Ashley Park. And John, here for a little bit, but glad to be here. Awesome. Hey and uh, we're going to kick off the show with the final round of VIF reviews. Yeah, uh, if people don't know, VIF mm-hmm. actually... Uh, officially closed uh, last week Friday but they are doing a few movies on a special um, kind of like release uh, this week as well. They're giving it a bit of a repeat hurrah for some of the uh, more favored pictures. That's right. Including um, Meditation Park is one. I yeah know Meditation Park was really a big hit. They're doing another showing of it tomorrow at 6 30. If you missed Meditation Park like I did, oh no, uh, go and uh, take a look. It is to not be missed, to be honest. And we'll kind of give a bit of a brief uh, review on it right now. We'll try to kind of avoid spoilers, but we do like to get a little bit in-depth. But if it's still something that kind of interests you, then hopefully you guys will give it a shot. Yeah. Now, I saw Meditation Park a couple weeks ago, Mm -hmm. and you've seen it more recently. I haven't. You haven't? I haven't, so I have to go see it tomorrow. But oh, I right, think, okay. John, you have. No, I haven't. You haven't either? No, I haven't well, seen great. it, no. It looks like we get to go see it. Yeah, it's exciting. It was the opening movie for Viff, right? Yeah, I heard yeah, it it's... had actually a sold-out crowd. It was at the Queen Elizabeth uh, uh, Theater in downtown and full, uh, fully packed in the uh, the... The s- floor row, and then actually also in the balcony. Floor I saw it really at the much. Vancouver Playhouse. There was a pretty good crowd there too. The Q and A afterwards uh, was pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very Vancouver movie. I can totally see how it's got uh, buzz in this in in town, and it's also it's got some good theme material. Like it's it's a well written movie. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, as and I think I I said my piece um, a lot earlier because I'm. I'm sort of an, an outsider, both as someone who wasn't isn't from Vancouver, mm-hmm. and someone who is um, distant from the culture that the film is talking about. But it's just the Q and A with the director was really interesting to me because it seems like something that uh, Mina Shum, by the way, is the director. Shum, Shum. Yep. Um, and she just it seemed like the story was very personal to her, and that really comes through. That in the sense that with the there's a sense of community and there's a sense of having known the people in the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. So, so even for you coming like from outside of Vancouver, it does feel like it has that time and place connected to it? Yeah, it, it feels that um, she said that she was inspired by seeing some um, older Asian ladies being chased around by a municipal uh, regulations officer overselling parking outside of her window. Mm-hmm. And that features into the movie. That's actually a pretty uh, funny scene in the movie. And it has that feeling of this sort of life being seen. By, by her. It, it, it's got, and down to the little details, there's a great deal of musical detail I didn't pick up on. There's a great deal of culinary detail. I think I mentioned this last time. Yes, you did. With the, the dried orange um, peels, which I've been, which I'm thinking of trying out, actually. I'm actually interested. <laughs> really? That was my takeaway from this. Dried <laughs> orange peels are great. Um, uh, for me, with Meditation Park, that uh, we kind of touched upon last week, but I want to go a little more further this week because that actually will go into a, a theme that I was exploring is how language is used in film, especially uh, Asian languages, which I'm more kind of like, at least I know one of the major Asian languages, haha. Um, so with Meditation Park, what they did is they did not offer uh, subtitling for some of the uh, scenes that has, I believe, Mandarin, uh, Chinese in Cantonese. it. Cantonese, they're, they're, thank uh, you. They're from Hong Kong. Thank you, Cantonese. This is why I have to go see Meditation Park. Mm-hmm. Cantonese in it. And uh, for Andy, he, he knows a bit of Cantonese, so he was able to pick up on some of it. But he wondered how an audience who didn't understand would kind of react to it. And also, a lot of the uh, characters speak English. And I think Sandra Oh, who is not uh, Cantonese, she's Korean, yes. uh, She, I think she said like one uh, Cantonese word. And I think it was like, um, Mama or Baba? Was or she portraying a Cantonese person in yeah, the film? Yeah, she was. Yeah. Mm. Uh, she's uh, she's the daughter of the two main characters, Bing and um, oh, sorry, the name uh, Maria, um, pr- played respectively by Zima and Pei Pei Cheng, um, who are the main characters of it. And mm-hmm. they do speak uh, to each other because her English is not very good. His his is better because he um, he he's he's more of a man about town, which sort of comes around into his persona as well. Mm-hmm. The um, the thing. 
I, an interesting point there, too, is that both Sandra Oh as the daughter and the absent son, uh, this is kind of a spoiler, by the way, uh, are in interracial relationships. Mm-hmm. And you, you never see the son in the movie, but you do see his fiance, Dylan, who um, the director sort of described as being, she's a very Vancouver-y character, and I, I, I don't mean that as pejorative, but she's, the director herself described her as being kind of hipstery, very raised in this very city and very at home like a like, like a commercial drive sort <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i um yeah i i i i'm i'm always cautious of of that because again i'm not from here uh but i i i, I like this ta- this that's a tangent <laughs> but the other interesting one interesting thing about this too is that um maria has a friendship with her neighbor gabriel uh, played by, actually played by Don McKellar, who I might have uh-huh. mentioned this, was the doctor in Blood Honey. <laughs> this role is a lot less trauma inflicted on people. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually, because his wife is very ill, and the gimmick is he's also selling parking, and he undercuts yep. the price uh, for it, which annoys a lot of the other older ladies who sell parking. Yep. But she sort of strikes up a friendship with him, and they have this um, bond. He's a minor character, mm-hmm. uh, but he is sort of an interesting character in that both of them sort of make their way through different varieties of grief. Now, hers is grief over her husband's adultery and his is grief over his wife's um, illness. Mm -hmm. So there's different kinds, but they sort of become similar in that they're trying to deal with these situations that they really can't, they really are trying to learn to handle. I think a a large part of the movie is her learning to cope with this set of circumstances to which she could not fathom before. Mm-hmm. Is sort of upset to the rhythm of her life, which is uh, a very frequent topic for this sort of thing, this sort of drama, this sort of self-discovery film, um, which in like in the Canadian canon, the very the very different, quite literally the opposite coast uh, would be the Rowdy Man. <laughs> <laughs> not not necessarily a comparison that holds up, but that's no. one thing I think of when you're talking about Canadian film and uh, movies about self-discovery. Uh, the Rowdy Man is frequently one mentioned there. Mm-hmm. The film is good. I would I'd say see it. It's a, a again, it's a very Vancouver film. It's more so a Vancouver film than Entanglement is, mm-hmm. um, because Entanglement is filmed in Vancouver, but this is a movie very much set there and very specifically there to the point where I'm I'm, I'm from like I said I mm-hmm. I've, I've lived here for three years. I felt like I was missing reference points. I see. Mm. Well, to kind of go on that tangent of, you know, a film being so evocative of a place, I'm going to actually now uh, talk a little bit about Columbus. Uh, yeah. That was directed by Kogonada, and I kind of mentioned it last um, week as well, but it was more of a shout-out to go uh, see it. Unfortunately, this is no longer um, running uh, Columbus, but if you're like, oh, I really want to see it, there is VAF, V-A-F-F, Vancouver Asian Film Festival. That's coming up in November, and they will be featuring Columbus. Really? So if you want to go see it, that's another chance for you to go see it. And uh, Columbus is about Columbus, Indiana, which is actually home to a lot of gorgeously designed modern Columbus, architecture. Columbus, Indiana or Columbus, Ohio? Columbus, Indiana. Indiana? That's what it says here. The Columbus, Indiana, the film's title. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, it was Columbus, a, a Columbus Indiana. Columbus, Ohio, too. I know it's, but a, I don't... it's a college town. My uncle taught there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, cousin taught there. Yeah, it says Columbus, Indiana right here in their uh, book here, unless they got it wrong. But to be honest, I did look for Chinese films and they had like a bit of a typo. They had China, but they added an eight in there somewhere, like the number eight, which is pretty silly. But anyways. Okay, at any rate. Anyway, great movie. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, It has great characters. Your main characters are a um, American expat uh, named Jin, played by John Cho, and he is working as a Korean to English uh, and vice versa translator. So he works at a publishing company. And his life is kind of like put on hold when he learns that his uh, father actually has uh, fallen ill and, and into a coma. Uh, the other character is a, a girl named Casey, played by Haley Lou Richardson. And she is actually putting her life kind of also on hold to take care of her mother, uh, who is very loving, but also someone who has been very vulnerable and uh, been through a lot of bad relationships in the past. So she kind of believes this is her duty to take care of her mother, whereas uh, with Jin, he is kind of the opposite. He resents the fact that he has to put his life on hold for a father who was really never there for him. 
So through architecture, these two kind of uh, different people, his father being a lover of architecture, Jen doesn't care for it. Casey actually really loves architecture and uh, has a fondness for it. They learn more about kind of uh, each other and how they view the places that they're in and the places that they'll go to. So really good movie. I actually I love the filmography of it a lot. The director, Koganada, you could totally tell he has such an affinity for architecture and he captures it in, a, in film that it feels almost awe-inspiring. Like you're actually there. He captures the angles on film so well that it doesn't feel still, even though it's just architecture, it feels like they have like actual like spirit and soul. I don't know. It was a really great movie. I liked it a lot. That's uh, I, I was really interested in this movie. I really want to see this because mm-hmm. it was John Cho. I think is one of the most charismatic and one of the most undercast actors working today. Um, actually, that was during the interview with Jason James. I think I mentioned him along with Thomas Middleditch, who's Entanglement, as an actor because he's primarily known through TV. Mm-hmm. Although his role in American Pie, he added the American lexicon for that. I, so, I believe that, that John Cho so. has like really iconic roles in American film. He, he's been working for over twenty years. Yeah, that's right. Like, he's, like, he really he, he's been around longer than you think. He's done a lot. Yeah. Uh, he's but also this movie has Parker Posey in it, who um, was great. Was really really great. She's one of my favorite people who's ever been in front of a film camera. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, she's been awesome in everything I've seen her in, and that includes Irrational Man. <laughs> so I, um, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'll see just about any movie with her, and I actually, I, I saw Irrational Man because she was in it, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I, this, this movie seems honestly like, did you remember Hermie and Hal and I talked about it last week? Yeah, you did. You did. This sounds like what I thought that movie was going <laughs> to be. be yeah. Hermie and Helena, for those who want to recap, was 80 minutes of a movie that didn't start. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that my aunt saw it with me. I looked over at her and I said, uh, what was this movie about? And to which she replied? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we still don't know. We was, still... was she already... Enjoying other VIF films, or was that her? No, that was, I think, the first VIF film we saw. Oh, that's, like, oh. the worst feeling when you take a family yeah. member to No, is is it wasn't great. It was, like, when I, I took a bunch of um, friends from a, tri- a trip I took, I took them to see, actually, Behind the Door mm-hmm. with us, and I thought it was just going to be another night out, and... Oh, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, Columbus, on the other hand, seems like a much better film yep, and you for can, both outings. Yeah, and you can check it at the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, which will be uh, coming up uh, soon. Which we shall hopefully be covering. Yeah, hopefully. It, it's a great festival as well. Really kind of uh, also um, like an underdog kind of thing. People kind of forget about it, but it's slowly making you know its way into kind of um, um, more prominence, which is good. Which, I, I, I can see that, like with... Um with a film like that, so I think is Meditation Park going to be in it as well. I haven't checked yet. You can I'd definitely check. Really it. Yeah, you wasn't. can check uh, the Vancouver Asian Film Festival's website if you are interested in the other um, listings that they will have. But I know for sure Columbus is going to be uh, featured. Is um, with with actors like John Cho because he's again like he's been in a lot of things, but. Mm-hmm. Would you say he gets? I, I, I I'm trying to think of uh, something other than Columbus where he was a lead. Yeah, um, y- y- and Harold and Kumar. Yeah, uh, I was uh, gonna say, but uh, yeah. that's the easy one. That's the easy one. <laughs> Harold. Um, there's uh, there's the short-lived. Uh, I think it's called Selfie. Oh, that with the the, the with Karen adaptation Gill- of Pygmalion. Yeah, the uh, with yeah. The Karen Gillian, Karen Gillian. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the Amy Pond from Doctor Who. Yeah, that's her. That's her name, right? Yeah, yeah, I okay, think good. so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I've, act- I've forgotten. I'm about gonna be that. honest. I saw it. I saw it. and I was like. Oh, I kind of, okay, but yeah, John Cho and Karen, yeah, it's good. That's like the only part I really, really like. I, I saw it to the end. It was uh, unfortunately canceled too early. I know there is a uh, Twitter movement called Hashtag Starring John Cho in which they take Hollywood movies and they just make John Cho like star in them as the lead, which was like, uh, it was actually a big thing that I think they won like a web award for that. I am very interested in that. Yeah, I actually follow it on Twitter. Hashtag starring John Cho. Like, what's an example of that? Let's... Uh, basically, they would, like, take, um, let's say, uh, a movie that is typically, like, uh, like, a rom-com, right? And maybe the person in the rom-com is, like, Jared Butler. But they're like, you know what? Let's just make it John Cho. And they replace Jared Butler, and they put John Cho in it. Or they have, like, an American Army movie, and they're like, okay, instead of Brad Pitt, let's put John Cho in it. So they put John Cho in it. Well, when you mentioned Gerard Butler, I just thought 300 with John Cho. <laughs> 
why not? Hashtag starring John Cho. Let's do it. But anyways, that that's that's one thing I know about uh, the hashtag uh, starring John Cho movement. That's it. That sounds like something that's kind of overdue a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he was able to, you know, uh, be kind of like cast against his like uh, type in Columbus, which is really refreshing to see. I do like him in a very uh, more of a serious role, and it was really good. I, I think he showed a, a different side to him that I also didn't know was there because we were so used to him seeing kind of like taking on like the straight man role in like a comedic, you know, um, thing, right? Like if Kumar does something, Harold's like, oh boy, Kumar, don't do the thing. And it's like, that's like the joke. But here he was, he definitely showed his like dramatic acting chops. Although to be fair, really he good. does usually go along with whatever Kumar does. Yeah. <laughs> So it was actually really good. It was really good. I was I liked Columbus a lot. All right. So that's that's. Does that about wrap it up for Viv? Like I know I'm going to try and see the square later. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a few, few things that John has seen as well. John. Well, I guess I could give a brief review. Would yeah. you like to hear my thoughts about a movie that I thought was good, or one that I thought was bad? I actually have a few that I <laughs> like, thought was bad. I actually um, I was, do want to talk about it too. Did, oh, you, bring I, out the venom. I think oh, I boy. saw. I think I saw you two at uh, Dragonfly Eyes at the cinema. Yeah. Did you? So yeah. did. Did, did you manage to talk about that last? We week? kind of talked about it, but in brief, uh, we were only able to cover Viff in a little bit of a mm-hmm, short mm-hmm. period. But one thing we said is we like the way they use the found footage, but mm-hmm. I found the narrative to be very problematic for mm-hmm. me. Uh, I thought it was really cool, but at the same time, it really chilled me on how some of these... Did Im- you think the images were used in a exploitative way? I felt that sometimes it was exploitative, definitely. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I was talking to you about the scene with the girl with the cell phone, right, who falls into the water mm-hmm. and then ends up, you know, dying. She yeah. drowns. And like, that's not a spoiler, either. That's yeah, like the first, that's the first yeah, sustained like, shot. Well, um, the thing about and that, it made me like so like like a little frustrated at uh, the end. We saw so we saw this with some acquaintances of mine, one of whom is another guy named Jake, and I talked to him recently and we mentioned dragonflies, and he's like, "Thank God I'm not epileptic." <laughs> and I realized that because at times the editing gets really frenetic in that movie. Yeah. Um, and because it's so grainy, it is a little hard to look at straight. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen some pretty, I've seen a lot of really bad public domain movies and from the 30s so i'm probably acclimatized to the graininess but the jumpiness was unusual to me so i didn't realize mm-hmm. exactly how hard it was on the eyes it was just in terms of format what's your take on it john on dragonfly eyes yeah um well i, I don't necessarily need to do one on that if you've already talked about it but um i felt fairly much among the same lines i felt that um it's a very forward-thinking idea to appropriate CCTV footage for mm-hmm. the sake of a montage, juxtaposition-oriented film, but that um, the ideas came at a very slow pace during this movie. It's kind of like... I, I came out of it thinking it felt like a bad Chris Marquet film, like, you know, like just mm-hmm. an essay without very much meat to chew on, and instead mm-hmm. of getting mm-hmm. something more thought-provoking... Uh, you had a primary focus on this very uninteresting narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought in the end the movie was maybe a bit more conservative than it was letting on. It wasn't exploring its topic as well as it could have. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh. I also thought the relationship was like very shallow and vapid. Well, it was it was pretty one-sided because... Uh, yeah, it was creepy, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, fan. Yeah, yeah, slightly unstable person. Like, I think at one point... I don't remember if he did this exactly, but at one point they sort of did the, the 500 Days of Summer line where she goes, all we do is fight all the time. And he goes, that's not true! <laughs> I don't know if he actually did that, but he said something pretty similar at one point, and I was like, ha. For me, uh, talking about there... kind of like... Uh, exploitive thing. I, I do want to talk about a movie that I saw that I really hated. Like in within like ten minutes, <laughs> oh, I was like, I was yeah, like within excellent. ten minutes, I was like, Out flip. I'm gonna fangs. hate this. I'm gonna hate this. It was an Argentinian film, uh, directed by Rodrigo Grande. It's called At the End of the Tunnel. Like this setup seemed really cool. You have this one man. He's in a wheelchair. He's confined to a wheelchair. He really cannot um, walk. He has a dog. And he sadly has to put the dog down. And he lives in a big house that he lived all his life since he was a kid. And then what happens is a very, like, 
beautiful looking lady and her young daughter comes in and she says, hey, I actually, I saw that you're renting your, you know, upstairs, you know, room. I want it. Can we have it? And he's like, wait, you can't do this. But then now she's like, I already, I'll give you the money. Don't give it to anyone else. There we go. And I went like, all right, that was really quick. Why does she need the house? And then all of a sudden, it's also his birthday. And then she's like, hey, let's go up to the roof. I put my daughter, you know, to sleep. Oh, VT-dub, she's mute. I don't know why she's mute. She hasn't talked to me in two years. But uh, I don't know why. She's also scared of men. Hmm. Don't know why, though. So let's go up to the roof. Hmm, and then to the roof, she's like, does anyone celebrate your birthday with you? And he's like, no, not for a while. And then she's like, hey, I know how you look at me. I know I'm hot. I know I'm attractive. Do you want me to do a dance for you? I'm actually an exotic dancer. Is, is this a dramatic film? or is This, this is like... supposed to be kind of a noir film. Okay. That's so, okay, because for so a second I thought, if this is a comedy, that's probably <laughs> not in good taste, but I'm, go I'm on. I'm really, really speeding things up, just because the sheer audacity of if the movie... If they were both juggalos, it would be amazing comedy, but that's beside yeah. the point. Uh, the sheer audacity of this movie that it presented itself, I just need to let you guys know all the things that happened because of the most dumbest thing ever. Okay, so she does like a dance for him, and it's like, oh, BTW, I was a classically trained dancer, but, you know, when I moved here to uh, Buenos Aires, I couldn't get a job, so now I do, you know, sexy dancing, but, you know, let me sexy dance for you. I'm pretty sure Nona sexy danced for you for a long time, so she, like, sits on a chair and does, like, a sexy dance, and it's supposed to be a montage of, like, you know, her being so attractive and him being like, oh, no, I'm in this wheelchair. For some reason, this, you know, hurts my masculinity in a way, right? And I'm kind of, like, sitting there being really uncomfortable. I would see just the montage of him crying and, like, the lady, like, dancing all, like, sexy-like. But the real reason why it's called the, At the End of the Tunnel is that he discovers a noise in his basement. That's where he works. And he discovers that on the other side of the wall of his house are some people who are planning to do a bank heist by digging a tunnel. They're in there digging a tunnel uh, underneath his house go into the bank. I know you're already like snickering, right? Go into the bank. And then he discovers that the woman who is uh, living in his house is actually a spy for the people who are going to, you know, basically go rob the bank. They want to make sure that he's not in their way or doesn't call the police, I guess. Okay, so that is a noir film. Yeah, so I was like, okay, noir setup. This makes sense. Then it got dumb. So he (laughs) figures it out. And then for some reason, so he drills a hole. He has a CCTV installed. So he actually has footage of them killing somebody, and he has footage of them talking to a corrupt police person, right, about what they're going to do with the bank heist. So the po- so he knows, okay, so this police guy's on it, too. So he has all of this video evidence, never goes to the police, okay? And then he actually films somebody getting, well, he didn't film it, like, on purpose, but he sees someone getting murdered, like, and he's like, oh, my God, this guy, these people are serious. Oh, no. But for some reason, he also falls in love with the woman upstairs for some reason. And then he shows... She did the sexy dancing for him. Yeah, I guess uh, that montage. that really just made him go, okay, for some reason. And then he learns that the daughter, the mute daughter, is talking to his dog. And I guess that kindles some sort of like fatherly sort of thing within him. So he opens one of his houses, like house doors, and the, the audience is supposed to go... Like He was about to kill his dog, but he didn't really. Oh, he was going to... Okay. Like, you know, tranquilize him and then, you know, put him to sleep. But he didn't get to do it because the mom and the kid came in right at the time the dog is about to die. So, you know, whatever. So he opens one of the doors that was locked. And apparently it was a room for, like, a little, a young girl. So we don't know what really happened. But maybe, like, people are supposed to piece out that, you know, he was a father before. But he lost his, like, wife and daughter somehow, I guess. Whatever. And I I would think, okay, maybe this is going to be, like, nice and romantic. But then he ties the woman up in his bed and then uses the, the, the tranquilizer he was going to give to his dog on the woman. Oh. And, she, and she's, like, tranquilized, no there. like, for the rest of the film. <laughs> Not even joking. Every time he discovers something new, he's like, hey, look at, I filmed this. Look at this bad thing that your boyfriend is actually doing. And she's like, no, I can't believe this is true. And he's like, yeah, it's true. And she's like, I'll help you. I'll help you, you know, make sure that... You know, this guy, we can put him away. And he's like, no, I can't trust you. And he tranquilizes her again all throughout the film. And I'm thinking to myself, why are we watching this? And Andy's looking to me like, I don't know what's happening. Why is he doing this? Does he even love her? I don't know. That's sort of like the question when he goes, 
uh, that he's beating up some guy. He's like, you are a lunatic. And the guy goes, you don't have a face. Do you think you look normal? It's, and you'd think he would stop there. But then he, he then goes, you know what? I'll take care of you and your daughter. I know what they're doing with the bank heist. And while they're going on their bank heist, I'm going to dig a hole through my basement and take the money as they're as they're doing their heist. And I'm like, what? And that's how where you get actually at the end of the tunnel because he actually goes into the tunnel and, you know, tries to sabotage the bank robbers and the tunnel. And it's the most dumbest thing in the entire world because you're supposed to think that this guy and this girl, you know, should get together. But the entire time, again, if she was an actual uh, femme fatale, and has some agency throughout the movie, I'd be super happy. But no, she's used by her, you know... Well, she'll also be dead at the end. Like, bank um, heist, you know, boyfriend. Mm-hmm. She's used also by this guy. And she's really just tranquilized throughout the entire movie. And I was like, wow, this is so bad. I wish it was over. No, it's still not over? Oh, my God. It's like a two-hour movie, too, right? Yeah, I was dying by, like, 15 minutes when the first tranquilization happened. I was like, no, this is so bad. So these, these Viv events are two for two for disappointing Argentinian movies. Oh, my God. I was so sad. And mm-hmm. it, it just, like, I, I had a feeling it was not going to be the best, but I thought maybe be really, really, like, fun. At the end, there is an ending that I did not expect that was actually a little bit enjoyable, if not really unfair. And it still doesn't make sense that this guy gets everything he wants, even though he's totally terrible to, you know, the, the woman who actually, you know, <sighs> so much anger. Well, if we're going by film <sighs> noir rules, pretty much everyone's a terrible person in those universes. So angry. I don't know why they, the main thing that made me super, like, upset is not only the treatment of adult women, but it's actually the treatment of little girls as well in the movie. Because I told you that she has a young daughter, right? There's Please. a reason why she's mute and doesn't like men. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, apparently, which is so stupid. Like, I don't know why they made the mom character actually stay at the, you know, house when she didn't really report on the guy at all to the boyfriend. It was so dumb. But the dumbest thing is that they make the bank heist guy, like, the worst character ever. He's like, oh, by the way, he's a murderer, and he's also a pedophile. Ooh. And we're supposed to go, like, wow, why? Why did we have to exploit all these women? Why? <sighs> anyway, at the end of the tunnel, the best part was the actual ending, because you're like, good, I get to see all this be done. Thank God. So, okay, that that sounds like, that sounds like, a, honestly, it's hard to do noir well, um, non-problematically, especially now, because it's got some problems, the genre. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't age well in that regard. So this sounds pretty straightforward. Like, Argentina has made one of the best film noirs ever, too, which is The Bitter Stems, which has some of those issues. Also, they have an interesting cocktail. Um, so that's a, that about wraps up our VIF review. Um, yep. If now, you want more, we mm-hmm. do have more on our website. Yeah, and we may be coming back around for The Circle. Um, the Square. The, square. the yep. Circle is a different movie. The Circle is a different movie. <laughs> and we will make that joke next review. Most likely. Uh, among others. Uh, but first, a word from our sponsor. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. Another night's work well done. And so easy without that nuisance Spider-Man. I didn't know you cared. You! Yes, Electro, and I'm going to short-circuit you once and for all. You would have been better off in the hands of the police. You are no match for my power. It takes more than power to win. It takes brains and knowing your enemy. I'll pick my power against your brains any day. What was that? That, my thieving fiend, is the result of brains. Use your brain. Turn off all the lights when you leave a room. If every household in BC turned off one light bulb for four hours a day for one year, it would save enough electricity to power all the homes in Mission for an entire year. This Power Smart Play brought to you by 
BC Hydro Power Smart and CITR 101.9 FM. And uh, we're back. We're back, and we're less angry than before. Ah, yeah, we'll see how long that goes, because this, this play does kind of stir up some emotions here. We're talking about thanks for giving here at the Stanley Industrial, uh, no, on the Stanley Granville Island stage. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it is an arts club show, though. A uh, really uh, good show. It's a contemporary native play by Kevin Loring. Mm -hmm. Who is, uh, he is of Native descent, as are a large number of the cast, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, which is... Of indigenous descent. Yeah, indigenous descent. Mm -hmm. Um... With the notable exception of, so, uh, well, actually, before we get into that, we should probably go into the setup of the of the play. Mm -hmm. Well, it's about Thanksgiving, if the title did not uh, give it away for you. And a Native family Really? I thought it was about Christmas! <laughs> that explains it! Mm -hmm. I was wondering about the dinner scene. <laughs> Which we'll actually get to. A really well-staged, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some legitimately scary elements in staging, some really impressive ones. Oh, really, really good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot. And really uh, for, for Thanksgiving, again, a family is getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving uh, dinner together. You have a grandmother, you have a grandfather, you have uh, two uh, Native men, um, a uh, mom. Part Native. The, the, part Native. The, um, so the characters are, those characters are, the grandfather is Clifford. Yeah. And he's, um, he's, not, he's not at all... Um, Native, and he is married to, well, well Nan. Yeah, but he's the, he's like the step-grandpa. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Her original, hu her husband is dead. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, her children are, well, she has. Uh, she had, she has, she, she had has, two. She had two, now had, she has one. Yeah, and um, she has, uh, her daughter is Sue, and her nephew is, <laughs> their poor nephew is Clayton, and Sue's children are John and uh, Marie. And Marie mm -hmm. also brings her lover, Sam. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam is played by Leslie Dos Remedios, and part of um, uh, Marie's arc is co a coming out story. Mm -hmm. Marie, by the way, is played by Ty, da Ty Amy Grauman, who's been in, among other things, Les Belles Sewer, which we yeah, reviewed Yeah, at, at UBC. So she uh, yeah. was here at UBC, UBC graduate. Yeah, BFA yeah. program. And um, it, every character does bring sort of a separate story to this. Mm -hmm. um, they all have different arcs that it begins the it, yeah the hunting trip let's start with like the beginning mm -hmm. how did you feel about that well so clifford john and clay yeah uh, clayton all go and they uh they shoot a bear bears mm -hmm. are very important here because they're a symbol to uh nan who is she is from uh, the bear clan yeah and they believe that eating bear meat will make you angry mean. yeah and uh it, clifford shoots the bear because he thinks it's about to charge or, which is so, not true. Which is probably not true. Yeah. And he also has them shoot the cubs. That's right. Uh, so he shoots them, them himself, doesn't he? Because they yeah. can't do it. Yeah. Uh, this comes back around. Mm -hmm. um, they all they already tell him right then when he's about to shoot that you know Nan will get really angry. So yeah. he already knows that his wife is going to get angry. But there is a reason why he shoots the bear, and then we'll kind of uh, get to see it. Yeah. Now the actual Thanksgiving dinner sort of brings everyone together. Marie comes on with Sam, and they prepare for this to not go very well. Um, now, from the beginning, the interesting thing I thought with Sue was that her character was limping. I That's didn't know right. if that was the character of the actress. That's how good her... Um, limp was. Yeah. Really naturalistic limp. Yeah, like, and what I thought was that her character was going to be a, a junkie. Mm -hmm. uh, she's not. She's mm -hmm. a drunk and a, and a stoner, but not a junkie, mm -hmm. uh, which is an important divide to me. Um, and like, so she, she brings that element to it. Clayton is sort of like a washout. He's he's the part, he's the the unfavorite of the family. He drives a compost truck. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he John, used to drive in like an oil uh, yeah uh, oil company car, but then uh, because of the oil industry, he was uh, let go. Yeah, he drives uh, the trash. Yeah, the truck. oil industry. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. I got some thoughts on the oil industry. Um, and John is he's in college as is Marie. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, mm -hmm. But John basically drops out of college to to join the military. He's lost. Uh, he's a lost young man. That comes around too. That arc just really. It's a, that's a minor arc though. Mar the biggest character arc in this is probably told through Nan and honestly probably Clifford a little mm -hmm. bit. I would say going very different ways. Uh, Marie sort of seems like she's going to be the main character. Yeah. I am thankful that was not the case. <laughs> Not not because of the performance. Um, Grandma did a great job, but um, 
Um, that character was intended to be insufferable and succeeded with flying colors. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it was uh, the titular dinner scene. Um, she does what a lot of people do when they they count the, the the college encounter where you talk to your relatives at Thanksgiving. And you sort of realize where those divides are between what you're learning and what contentions are held, especially with Clifford, mm-hmm. who um, almost I've, I've heard those are the arguments he gave almost word for word. What, what we'll say to the audience is there is a discussion on, you know, what Thanksgiving actually was historically and what it means symboli- symbolically. Very... And and um, mm-hmm. if you guys want to go uh, check it out, uh, we do recommend Thanks for Giving. Outside of that, uh, see the play really. Yeah, we can't fiery really do it scene. Justice. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that does get your blood up. Yeah, um, one way or another. Mm-hmm. But I will say that all the characters do have their moments, though. They're not only there to rile you up; they're here to like make you laugh and make you, you feel. You feel sorry for Clifford at one point. You do at one point because he uh, at one point he tells a really touching story about a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, about his dog dying when he was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of tells you about... Like, the thing about about Clifford, and this comes around because in the second act, he turns into a much... He goes even farther down the road of unpalatability, but you do see him for a person who is... This is a cliche, but this is a cliche for a reason, a product of his time and environment. He is someone who belongs at a certain place and at a certain time. And he is someone who would have been typified by that, too. Um, and the characters who have more of an identity, like Nan's, mm-hmm. which is these very strongly held convictions, especially about the bear, mm-hmm. um, are the are really the things that tie the play together. Because I think a feeling of loss, of loss of identity, of loss of story, is very strong in this play. Definitely. And the characters deal with this differently. Um, uh, Clayton sort of has to just... It's, just it acknowledges sort of mediocrity in life. Mm-hmm. Um, John tries to find structure in the military. Marie finds structure by just spewing bile at everyone. Not only that, but finding love th- with Sam. It, that is the true. Thing. That is true. And Sam, I did like very much as a character because yeah. she seems like th- th- their 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 chemistry is very good, and they do seem the partners that they're, they're written that they do seem like genuinely loving partners. Yep. Like the the relationship is is mm-hmm. very is felt. It, it's really also interesting because uh, Sam is actually a Chinese, uh, g- second generation, I believe, yeah. uh, character. So the Chinese also have a history of uh, prejudice, especially here in uh, Canada. Yeah, railroads, yeah. Yeah, rail- rail- railroads, as we know. So it's really interesting that um, that a, uh, th- that this kind of couple was presented on stage, mm-hmm. I think. It shows a lot of uh, different kind of... Um, dynamics that aren't explored together yeah yeah so i thought it was really um well done i also really loved just i loved nan i loved nan so yeah, much she, she was just a margot kane who played her was just so uh very warm and and loving and you can and there's points when you can see when she gets really worn by the situation yeah but she's also playing a person who has experienced a lot and who has a very strong sense of self Mm-hmm. And that maintains through the play. She is the moral heart of the play mm-hmm. until by, by the until the end. I would say when she learns about the treachery that uh, um, that Clifford has done. Well, she learns about that early on, fairly early on. Mm-hmm. But she like that she realizes the extent of it. The extent. That's a good way of putting um, it. Towards the end. Can we talk about the uh, bear dancer? Yes, we can. So uh, really great. Yeah, played by Shyama Priya, mm-hmm. uh, and. She has no lines in it, but she's in a bear costume. Yep, an and, authentic bear dance costume. Mm-hmm. And she's um, she has uh, Cree roots. Mm-hmm. She's uh, among others, and she's um, uh, alleged she studied this variety mm-hmm. of dance, I believe. That's right. And it's the movement as the bear is pretty astounding. It's uh. Yeah, I, uh, the costume was really great. Uh, could you let our audience know who did the uh, the costume design? It was uh, when we first saw it, we were really um, surprised. Samantha McHugh. Yeah, yeah, and uh, hats off to her. Great wow. job! It worked so well that when the actual dancer was kind of like bounding towards us as the bear, I actually thought it was like a little uh, bear coming towards us. The way that she. Um, 
not not Samantha, but the uh, uh, the, the uh, dancer, Sh- Sham Priya. Yeah, when Sam was able to move her shoulders in a way, it really felt like the bear kind of inching closer and closer. What did you think about her dance? I thought that was like her movement was amazing in that suit. I there's a handful of people who'd be able to do that, just manipulate yeah. that big bear suit to to work that way. That was just really impressive. Good. I also kind of want to do a shout out to to James Coomber, who is a sound designer. Because really good sound too. This thing is a heartbeat. Yeah. It uh it, it it really does, and it um it's it's got something in it that is uniquely kind of scary mm-hmm. because the sound built like I mentioned this too. Uh, for behind the door, but even even more so um, with this one is that it keeps going on through, and throughout the dinner scene especially, there's this taut, unrelenting sound, and it, it yeah. really does keep you there. It it, it it highlights this sort of tension in the air. And I think it's, it works even well with uh, the set design. Uh, the set designer, uh, I believe, is... Let me take a look over here. Uh, set design was done by... Ted Roberts, uh, and man, I just love the juxtaposition of nature and uh, also of like modern, you know, home well, the, kind the, of thing. The set is the woods, yeah, and then the things are in the woods, which is actually an interesting parable. We can't give away too much about no, this we can't. We but do it, want you to see it. It was really, really great how they used the uh, the set. Uh, definitely do check it out. I think it really kind of opened our um, like our horizons on what theater can do, right? Yeah, it did. It was mm-hmm. I was I was really impressed by again the sound of this because mm-hmm. one thing I've been thinking about a lot is um, the use of sound, especially since seeing behind the door. And this was it was a very interesting thing to see. It was very unique. It it, it is an eye opener. It has some moments of comedy. It has some definite moments of tragedy. It's worth seeing. Certainly, mm-hmm. and we wanted. Uh, let you guys know it is at the Granville Island stage, October the fifth to November the fourth. Kevin Loring was the playwright and director, and uh, he deserves like a lot of like uh, compliments on the work. It's really, really well done. He does. And uh, now a brief word from our sponsor. Woo. We'll be back with Eric Romer and a uh, little bit of sound of Kalima. I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner. Cocaine addiction. Cocaine took my drink. My drink. It made me lie, lie, steal. Cocaine took my will, my soul. And all I wanted was more cocaine, more cocaine. Cocaine Anonymous gave me freedom and saved my life. If you got a problem with cocaine, pick up the phone. We're here to help. Contact Cocaine Anonymous toll-free by calling 866-662-8300 or find them online at ca-bc.ca. Nikkei National Museum's Hastings Park 1942 exhibit marks the 75th anniversary of Japanese-Canadian internment. Visit the exhibit until January 13th to see Japanese Problem, a contemporary performance piece which offers a glimpse into a dark episode of history at the Peonies Livestock Barn. Nikkei National Museum is located in Burnaby and entry is by donation. Now, we've had some pretty heavy topics. I want to talk about something that is actually very un-Vancouver and also light as a feather. That would be the Cinematheque showing of Eric Romer's quartet of seasonal films, A Tale of Springtime, A Tale Mm -hmm. of Winter, A Summer's Tale, and An Autumn's Tale. And those are actually the order they were made in. They were made in the 90s. And um, I saw these at the Cinematheque, which is walking distance from where I live. It's a long walk, but it's a good one. And uh, this is very interesting to me because... One of my favorite filmmakers of all time is Whit Stillman. Really? Who's a flawed filmmaker, but is very interesting to me because he makes these talky films. There's not much plot, but there's excellent character. And they usually mm-hmm. ha- they have this sort of relatability and quotability. And oftentimes, the the issue with Stillman's own personal biases... He, people have called him the Wasp Woody Allen. I think he's a much better person than Woody Allen. Uh-huh. But, uh, <laughs> it kind of fall through in the work. Romare, Eric Romare, who is 
a now dead but very influential member of the French New Wave, mm -hmm. made these films around the same time that Stillman was coming out. And I think that without Romer, Stillman wouldn't have broken through. Mm -hmm. And these films are about educated, usually young people. Romer said that he favors younger actors because he, he finds it easier to tell stories about them based on innocence. Okay. That older characters are going to have more biases against life, and it's easier to say. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I see what he's going at with these. And they're actually, they're good. They're French. Uh, and I, I don't say, oh, all French films are good. Subtitles make it totally better. With a dialogue-heavy film with subtitles, it's a little bit of a slog sometimes. It's, it's kind of reedy, isn't it? Uh, so with the first two of them, yeah. uh, the, which is A Tale of Springtime, these don't have any continuity together. Some of the okay. actors are the same, but... So they are standalone pieces, but within the same theme. They, they feel like they all exist within the same universe. Okay. I mean, Eric Romer's universe, by the way, is the most <laughs> smoke-free and sober France you will ever see. <laughs> um, like, like, one character in Tale of Springtime smokes, and, like, I maybe the times, maybe characters drink maybe five times mm -hmm. in the entire set of films. So Tale of Springtime revolves around Jeanne, who's a philosophy teacher working at Jacques Brel High. Yeah, I enjoy that. I love Jacques Brel. I like that there's a high school named after him, uh, mm -hmm. who falls in with a conservatory student named Natasha. Uh, and she, Jeanne has two apartments, but people are both staying at them at this point. Okay. As you do. Yep. So she crashes with Natasha, who has a dad, Igor, who looks like Fred Armisen. He looks exactly like Fred Armisen. Uh -huh. It's hilarious. Um, and uh, he, Igor is uh, an older guy who works for the government and likes to date women the same age as his daughter. Weird. Weird. Um, that, that, that crops up more than once, by the way. Um, so In other... In other uh... Yeah, it seems to be a theme of it with Romare. Like, these things, like Wit Stillman, Romare keeps returning to the same themes. Okay. Like Wit Stillman, it never really rings as bad. Like, with this, it's a little questionable, but it's, it's like... He's, he's a 40-year-old man dating college students. If that's a problem to you, that's you'll have a problem, a problem with this. That's a problem, yeah. Um, so... Natasha really doesn't like her father's current boyfriend, and basically it's them talking a lot. Natasha mm -hmm. basically tries, if there is a plot, it's that Natasha tries to set Jean up with her father at the country house by abandoning them to leave with her boyfriend, who's the same age as her father, by the way. Uh -huh. <laughs> Comes around, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and he, Igor does try something, but not really. And basically he and Jean just sort of talk it out. Okay. Uh, that's mostly what these movies are. This it, it is this is probably the most awkward, but I will say that uh, Antecedere as Jean, I'm, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, I really like um, sh sh short-haired look on women as this is the inner Neanderthal in me, but I find it really appealing. And she's a really good actress, so mm -hmm. she really commands the attention. And the, the dialogue really works on her part. You really like her by the end of the movie. You don't really feel much about the others. You don't feel bad necessarily. Yeah. It may be what I, I didn't feel terribly judgmental towards Igor. I thought like, okay, he's having a midlife crisis, but I didn't think he was a predatory character. Mm -hmm. um, with Tale of Winter, it's actually interesting because Tale of Winter is uh, about, or a winter's tale, sorry. And yes, they do reference the Shakespeare play in it. It's about a woman named Felicie who has, an, has a summertime affair, ironically, with a guy named Charles, which results in a child, but she never sees him again because she gives him the wrong address by accident. Fast forward, the kid's about 10. She's got a romance with an academic named Loic, but also with uh, her boss, as a, who's a hairdresser, Maxence, who gay people don't seem to exist in Eric Romer's world, but good lord. Like, if that, if that character, I can't summarize him in a way that makes him look straight. Uh, put it to I don't you know. that way. Then you know you might be you might be putting on like your twenty um, first you know century you know lens. On Maybe it. so. Eric yeah. Romer is a conserv was a conservative Catholic by the way, and that yeah. does come up a lot because there are characters that Loic seems like a self insert character for him, who's very he, he is non judgmental. Romer seems pretty non judgmental about his characters, and Loic is non judgmental about Felicie leaving him for Maxence, and then eventually leaving Maxence to come back to him as a friend, which he's not keen on, but he's fine with it because he realizes that there's a divide between them. There is a funny line when she she's like she's working class and he's an academic. Okay. And she says, "You have you love books more than you love me because I if I say I love you, you have to look it up in a book." But she mm. must sound better in French. Again, when you're reading it. Uh, I feel like I'm eulogizing the French here. Those who know me know that I, that I don't usually go that road. Anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, it's interesting because it actually does end happily with her meeting up with Charles Bax and on the bus. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's I, – th I don't feel bad spoiling these movies because it is – there is not really a plot to – well, a little bit in autumn. We'll get to that later. Yeah. But that's um, – th th they make you feel – that one in particular is sort of a feel-good ending. It's a very cute 
ending. Like, it, nobody ever gets angry at each other for these sort of things. They're just like, okay, this is a thing. Uh, gotta in, think in, about in, that. In Romer, Romer the film, in, in yeah, this one? Yeah, like in, in Romerverse, like, these Romerverse. are the, the characters. These are, because he was a contemporary of Truffaut and Godard, right? Um, mm. Truffaut and Godard's characters live in very extreme worlds, I would say. Godard's definitely do, anyway. Uh, for Romer, it's sort of these very, there's a lot of thought. They're very epistemic movies, and quite literally, philosophy gets brought up a lot. Like, Loic teaches, Loic and Jean, I think, both teach philosophy. Oh, boy. Um, I, I like that. I, I, I would prefer it if it was in English, because I would have been able to keep up with it more. I think there was a lot of wordplay I did miss, but they do discuss it a lot. Mm. Uh, and theology, too, because, again, Romer was very Catholic and very, I think, well-read in his religion. Um, I gotta maybe revisit my... Uh, catechism for that i haven't been catholic for a while um so after a winter's tale then you comes, have summer yeah again these were made out of order it was mm-hmm. a winter uh, romer made i think um uh, the, the first two uh spring and winter around the same time and then a couple years later made summer and autumn so summer a summer's tale has the least likable protagonist uh uh, he's a, a grad. I want to say what's his name? It's a, oh, Gaspard. Gaspard is his name, um, and he's like he he's vacationing in this resort town over the summer. He's got like a master's in math, um, and his love interest Margot sort of love interest. It's it's weird dynamic, but she has like a PhD in ethnology. Like he's an itinerant musician and she's a waitress. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, uh, and he's basically trying to wait for. He has this thing where he has a relationship with this woman named Lena, who clearly doesn't really care that much about him. But he's also, like, he is also, like, really Frenchly attractive, but he's also an insufferable person. Like, he he spends all his time, like, he is kind of this sort of John Mayerish character who's incredibly Aww. devoted to guitar playing and monumentally self-absorbed to the point where this woman, Solange, Solène, sorry, falls in love with him or becomes infatuated with him, and he kind of... It's touch and go, and he eventually has to choose between Solange and Lena. He has a friendship with Margot, but he never really – he does kind of try, but he never really has it happen. And in the end, he's given an ultimatum where he basically has to decide between going to a party with Solange or going to an island with uh, Lena. First world problems. Uh, but in the end, he gets a phone call from a guy in, in the town where he's moving for work. Mm-hmm. He says, him, hey, I got an eight-track recorder for you. He's like, well, that settles it. My music comes first. That solves that dilemma. I have nothing to feel bad about. And leaves. Um, this one kind of, um, you recognize, I've recognized some bad parts of myself, my personal dating habits in this guy. I did not like this character very much. Also, I didn't like the fact that he wears white pants to the beach because, like, you get the, the brown up to your it, – it's not a good idea. Um, but that's uh, probably – it's an interesting um, movie in terms of these – Whit Stillman also had that sort of, had these dislikable characters. But Whit Stillman's characters, I think – this character is framed as being very self-serious. The movie doesn't give him the same breaks that Whit Stillman did for, say, Metropolitan, did for Charlie and Metropolitan. And then the last one, Autumn, is the one that resembles um, a movie with an actual plot. So that features uh, this character, Magali, who's a wine... She's a a vinter. She Mm -hmm. owns a vineyard. And her friend, Isabel, and her possible future daughter-in-law, Rosine, both try to set her up with guys. Isabel basically catfishes a guy named... um, uh, What's his name here? Uh, Is it... I'm trying to remember. He looks like balding Jeff Goldblum a little bit. Um, um, that, I don't. I've never seen these films. I, I don't know no, the characters. No, I know. Names. I'm just trying to <laughs> trying to recall here. Um, but uh, he and then uh, the the one with Rosine is even more questionable because she tries to set her up with her professor Etienne, who is a chiseled sort of French Anthony Stewart head looking dude who also had an affair with Rosine earlier and is clearly not over her. Also, clearly in t- same way as. Um, the, the father in um, in spring clearly into women uh, about two decades is ju- is junior. I'm so I'm like I'm all, I'm kind of creeped at all these like you know you know pe- picking on people like two decades younger than you you know that kind of thing. He's French. It's fine. No, it's just mm, creepy. No, no, it's not. In, <laughs> in this in this case, they do make it more questionable because Thank he you. is Good. set up with Magali, but then he kind of ditches her to chase another one of his former students. That's Ugh. a lot more questionable, by the way. Um, and that sort of comes around with uh, Magalie kind of takes up with balding Jeff Goldblum dude. 
Uh, there are sort of, that is the one that sort of has the most, it kind of has a plot like romantic comedy, but still with the characterization, heavy characterization of the previous two. If I had to say I had a favorite, it's probably, um, Summer was the one that held my attention uh, probably the most, if only for my dislike of the main character. All of these movies have the same benefits, which is they're really dialogue and character driven. You can remember these characters. Mm-hmm. Um Arguably save for balding Jeff Goldblum guy, who his name escapes me at this point, but um, I'm sure that actor's very thrilled to be referred to as balding Jeff Goldblum, as if he listens to the show. But uh, Gerald, Gerald was the name. There it is. Gerald is that sounds like a guy who could be named balding Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I these are coming on next weekend. Yeah, I, I believe on Friday and Saturday, and at the Cinematheque. Yeah, double features each night uh, at six thirty and eight forty. Um, if if you gotta see one. I would say if you want to see a really good uh, character study of kind of this doofy character, mm-hmm. uh, I'd say see uh, Summer. If you want to see just a really feel-good Eric Romer movie, Winter probably. Uh, I, I, I saw all of them. Um, they are a bit of a, they are a bit of a sit if you watch the two back to back and you're not used to subtitles because I wasn't really used to subtitles, which kind of it was really good that I was really engaged mm-hmm. thanks to my Neanderthal during spring. Um, the thing was, though, I, I would walk over. I, I actually did see, this was after, on Friday, I saw The Sound of Kalima Show, and we interviewed them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, they actually turned me on to a song there. There was, there was a few, there were a few good ones. There were a few good bangers mm-hmm. there. But the one that I really did like the most was called uh, Strawberry Vanilla Iced Tea, which is by Eke. Mm-hmm. who was not actually in the studio with us. And I'd, I'd like to actually play us out with that one. Sure. And then um, I guess we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. We'll check Wednesday. out uh, the Square uh, interview with uh, Twin Bandit, I believe. Yeah, Twin Bandit. A lot of, like, really cool uh, indie uh, mm-hmm. Vancouver yeah. music. Yeah, we've got I'll, some I'm good acts it. coming. Um, just the, the Arts Report. Yeah, this is the Arts Report. Oh, oh yeah, just by the way. Just let you know, content uh, warning. Content warning for language. Yeah, for, for, this, uh, for the song Strawberry Vanilla Iced tea and 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 catchiness mm-hmm. <laughs> okay uh i'm jake clark i'm ashley park cheers i'm on the line with the most high coming live on the hive of the low lives improvising a prize and we close eyes visualizing the minds of the woes i spy with the vision precision driven at max speed six women and men and in the backseat said i'm winning as if i'm a freaking athlete first i was last he served now i have I get the bar and i'm spitting that shit in the goals i'm trying hard but the sin is in within control not in the cars for a limit to chip at my soul so i look the stars when i'm feeling a dip in my glow like me, nice as minute man. Strawberry vanilla iced tea with the lemonade. Never been afraid of mine speech. I'm a renegade, been a grave, been a great, your teeth up in the dinner plate. Integrated eater of me that make me disintegrate. In the place to be with the beat cause they trying to immigrate. On the beach in Belize, there's some sweet Latinas in need of at least a leader of sweet and tea to obliterate. I was born in the dark with a black heart. Set apart from the start with a black mark. Tar on my back, car parts in my backyard. I'm never even phased in the heat. Sunshine just illuminates all of me, mon me. Get up on my wave and you'll see why the way that I reach is away from the east-west side. Talking about the home of the heat wave. You can get the roast any weekday. Every day's a Sunday where we stay. Sun, but you be uncomfortably big. Get the heat, get the fuck out the kitchen, I fry. What did the chief keep the temperature living the tribe? Pons in the trees, causing fingers to live in the sky. You can get disease, so this is if you're killing the vibe. Down, hot shit in the tropics, you're frolicking with the thundercats. Comets in the vomit, the mom, but just get the butter dad. Couldn't tell you what's in the tonic, but know it's something exotic. They have you feeling phenomenal as a gusher pack. Someone summon drummers and the clap. Tell them run it back. Gonna wanna bump until the crack. Run another lap. Got the coolest of beverages, bust it open the cambridges if you don't get the message i'm where the summer's at if it's strawberry vanilla iced tea it's lemonade on my taste buds i was fired straight out of preschool they were tropical as jamaica if it's strawberry vanilla iced tea it's lemonade on my taste buds i was fired straight out of preschool they were tropical as jamaica
saw, she saw, he saw. It's a jigsaw, they saw based on who. Frame it like a picture, no filter, hanging like Kim Jong Un. I've been sipping on my strawberry icy. Listen to MCs, rapper by the way they get checks. Impressed by how I switch on my melodies, kill it like a felony. Going up is just a reflex, no karma. And now a message from a very excited radio announcer. Oh, uh, sorry. I mean, just for laughs. Just for laughs presents the alternative comedy tour. Featuring star of Silicon Valley, Deadpool, and everything else you like, TJ Miller. Yeah, I was the star of Yogi Bear 3D, but uh, I don't need to get into that. With special guest, Flight of the Concords, Reese Darby. I probably shouldn't be doing this. It's a risk. And hosted by Nick Batteron. The Just for Laughs Alternative Comedy Tour at the Vogue Theater November 17th. On sale now at Ticketfly.com. For details, check Metro News or go to hahaha.com slash alternative. This is the message from Just for Laughs Alternative Comedy Tour. 